You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. I'm excited to be back tonight and we've got a few weeks to catch up on before we continue into this evening's teachings. Um, uh, As you know, we've been talking about what it is that those around us, the world, really should be left with when they encounter us. We are vessels for the presence of God, and you, I find no evidence that you can encounter what you were created for and not be affected by that encounter. And if we are vessels for the presence of God, our bodies, a holy temple for the presence of God, and all things made for Him and through Him, there is absolutely no way that you are not left with an impression when you encounter your Creator. I don't believe that there's any way. And so we're looking at what is, what, when we look at that fingerprint that is left in these moment of encounters, what do we find there? And there's six topics that we've been going, that we've started to go through. The first of those topics is that God is good. And now this is an, what seems like an obvious one for us, but this is an experiential statement, meaning you don't know this to be true until you encounter the goodness of God for yourself. Meaning that no one around us that does not know God will know that He is good unless they encounter the goodness of God in us. And if we do not carry it because we do not actively reflect and and pursue it and allow it to pursue us and remember, actively remember the goodness of God that has pursued us, they will not be left with an impression of the goodness of God when they encounter us. Because we've talked about this as well. We are quick to forget that which we have been given. We are quick to forget that which God has done for us, right? We get, we, it's very easy to remember all that God has done in the easy moments, but when the difficult moments come, what we tend to do is we tend to ask, where's God? Like, dude, He was there 30 seconds ago before you got the bad news, and now in the bad news you think He's abandoned you. We forget, we have short-term memory loss in this, in this walk with the Lord that has really affected a lot of the church, and it's affected the way we do ministry, but His goodness has to be experienced And ourselves first, and we have to remember that we've experienced, remember that it has pursued us. The second takeaway that they should experience when they encounter us is that nothing is impossible. And this is a belief that is founded in great hope. It has to be founded in great hope. Understanding and believing that nothing is impossible cannot exist without there also being hope. Because it means the things to come are not impossible and the things that have been are not impossible. Everything ahead of me is possible because I have Christ Jesus, and that is a belief that is rooted in hope because hope is the authority. I'm taking the authority of things that have yet to come, that they will come, and I will have authority over them. That's what hope is. It's, I need a chair. I've got a rope that's attached to this chair, and I'm holding the rope in my hands. This will be mine. That's hope. It's taking authority over the things that God has promised to you and the things that He will bring and the things that He says He will do. And that is hope, and that is found in this statement. And this truth is also something that we are meant to regularly experience. And it's so important right now because so many people live without hope. And we see that in this day and age so clearly. I was reflecting on it again. I I got to have a lot of really honest and awesome conversations with a lot of hospital workers while we were in the hospital, just going through this process of having our baby. And the Lord said that He would remove the gray. He said he was removing it, that our world would be full. We would see it black and white. 
I was talking to another friend just to kind of jump back and forth just a little bit just yesterday of how he was talking with someone that does ministry in South Africa. He's man, his understanding of the spirit is different. And I just don't understand why. So because there's no gray in South Africa, it's black and white. It's of God and it's not of God, period. And that's why I love when we get to go to third world countries, because there's darkness and there's light, period. There's no in between. It is for God and it is actively against God, period. Because you go to these places and you'll have a church on one corner and on the other corner you have a witch doctor. <coughs> Just like that. And it's a beautiful thing. It really is to see the darkness clearly and see the light clearly. But we in the Western civilization have all this gray. And the Lord has said, He said it in 2020 that He would remove the gray. And I got to share this with so many hospital workers and they were recognizing how in their own careers and in their own institutions, he has removed the gray. The things that they thought they knew that they thought were true have been removed and they see things clearly black and white. And that's been refreshing for some. It's also been draining and exhausting for others. And we can relate to that as well because so many things that we had faith in, that we stood and trusted, we don't trust anymore, right? So many things in our world that we thought we could trust and we thought we're going to have our best interest in mind, we clearly see do not have our best interest. And so the Lord has removed the gray and he has, he has in doing this, we see the, the amount of people that live without hope in their life. We did a funeral today of a young man. I was talking to a few of you um, before we got started who, who passed away tragically in an accident uh, just an unfortunate circumstance, and he had so many dreams inside of him of things that he was going to immediately begin to do. And he died with hope. And what a blessing it is, as the Lord was just telling me these things, because I didn't know this young man, so I had to rely on the Lord to build this sermon for his service. And he said he died with hope, and if he died with hope, that means he died with joy. So he left this life in joy and entered the gates of heaven with joy. And what a beautiful thing, because so many people live each and every day and die without hope. And if they die without hope, they have lived without joy. Because you cannot have hope and not also have joy. They are cohesive. They exist together. And so many people live without hope. And so what a time for them to see in us that nothing is impossible. A hopeful statement. A statement that's not, because hope is also, remember, hope is not a wish. It's not this wishing upon a star. Hope has authority. Because it is of God and it is made for the people of God. And they are meant to wield these things and this power with authority. They're not meant to just whimsically kind of hope for things to happen. Uh, like they're wishing upon a fairy star or something. They believe it and they believe who is bringing it and they believe with authority and that is hope. And so there are so many that have lived without this hope. And it is such a, a precious time for us to reflect to them that nothing is impossible because we, the people of God, live with hope. But unfortunately, what we've seen and what we talked about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, is that they, they look at believers who are also living hopelessly. So the, place that they sh the people they should encounter and be left with this reality that, hey, nothing's impossible for me. They're actually left with this reality of nothing is possible for me. We are actually instilling, unfortunately, the exact opposite belief in so many people around the world because we ourselves are quick to forget the goodness of God, but we are also quick to live without hope. And why do we live without hope? How can we live without hope? 
Well, we've had this statement, you can't give away what you don't have, and that's just not a true statement. The Lord had to tweak that just a little bit in me because there's not anything that He has withheld from those that are in Christ Jesus. All good and perfect gifts come above from the Father of lights, and He has made heaven open to us just as He did Jesus when He was baptized in obedience. He has made it all open to us. There is not a single gift. There is not a single treasure held in heaven that has been withheld from the people of God, the children of God, the co-heirs with Christ. Nothing has been withheld from us. So it's not that you can't give away what you don't have because we have everything. It's that you can't give away what you forget you have. If I have food in the pantry, but I forget I have food in the pantry, I'm not going to think about the homeless man that's asking for food and think, I've got food that I can give him because I've forgotten that I have it at home. You can't give away what you forget you have. And we have, we have lived that for far too long. And so we can't give away hope because we forget to have hope ourselves. We forget the authority that has been given and the title that has been proclaimed over each and every one of our lives is that you are a son, you are a daughter of God, and there is nothing that has been withheld from you. And when we recognize that reality, we can live in this place that there is nothing that is impossible for those that are in Christ Jesus. And I am those in Christ Jesus. And then they encounter that in us. And they will also see the goodness of God in that. So we should never live, never live a day without hope. And we are not created to live or to be at any moment in this life. We are not created for hopelessness. And how do I know this? Because of the third takeaway that we'll speak about tonight. We'll start talking about it tonight. This is going to be a two-week lesson just because it's a big one, just in the title of it. But this third takeaway, what they should experience when they experience us, the vessels for the presence of God, the children of God, those who see us should see that Jesus won absolute victory. And I started thinking about that, Jesus won absolute victory, and I just ask myself, do, do I, do we, those who follow him, know what that means? Do you know what it means when you say Jesus won absolute victory? There is a lot of weight to that statement. The list of things that he has conquered is endless. And when you really think about not just what it means for us individually, but what it means for the world that Jesus won absolute victory, it's a big conversation. So it's going to take a Uh, at least two weeks to talk about it, but I wanted to start just by talking about this this statement of absolute victory and what that really is. Well, so first off, what absolute victory is, there's no clear definition. It's just a, there is a, it's not like you can look it up on Wikipedia and it says absolute victory means, but what it is generally understood to mean is that there is no question about the victor, Absolutely no question about the victor in whatever circumstance you're applying absolute victory to. And it is the complete eradication of a previous power. It does not exist. And that's a very fascinating rabbit hole if you want to go down and look at history and moments where absolute victory has existed uh, intentionally and unintentionally for certain civilizations because there are at least seven that we know of civilizations that we know nothing about. They were wiped off the face of the earth. And there are probably thousands before that. These are just the ones we found remains to. 
And they're still finding remains in the Amazon. That's, that's a fun rabbit hole if you like history. But anyways, we'll be in 1 Samuel 15, verse 17. And we're just going to look at a moment in the Bible when absolute victory was the intention before Jesus. <coughs> Again, it's 1 Samuel 15, <coughs> verse 17. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, you are not the head of the are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devout to destruction, the sinners, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted, devoted the Amalekites to destruction. <clears throat> but the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, He, or excuse me, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams for rebellion as it is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now that is a powerful statement and that this process for Samuel really starts in, in chapter 10 and then it comes to this point that we're at right now. And this, this moment of obedience for Saul was a, this, if he had done what the Lord had told him to do, he, he was going to be the one established as the king of Israel that we read about today. I mean, you really think about how close David doesn't exist. We're right there. He was to be king. David was king as a result of Saul being disobedient. We need to recognize that. So the history that we read, the line of David that produced the Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who would die for our sin, all of that because came from David because of this moment of disobedience. Because Jesus had absolute victory for Israelites because the Amalekites came against Israel, sinned against God, and he was not going to just defeat them and enslave them. He was going to make them no longer exist. That there would not be an evidence of them on earth any longer. To the point that the beasts of the field that they had, their livestock, everything was gone. That there wouldn't even be a cow. Where'd you get that cow? Oh, I got that from Amalek. No, the land would be as it never existed. Absolute victory is what Jesus had for Saul or what God had for Saul. But he took his preference on how he should respond to what the Lord said what the Lord meant 
I would prefer if the Lord meant this, and so I'm going to let us do this, and we're going to do this, and this is going to be way better than just killing them where they stand in the field. I'm going to bring them all back, and I'm going to sacrifice them, because that's even better. Smells like a brown noser, a teacher's pet a little bit, trying to do the extra that has not been asked of him to do. And because of that, he is, he is seen as disobedience. And so we see here an example of what absolute victory would have looked like. But Saul chose his desires, his preferences, on what the Lord said. And he chose that which was meant for destruction. And this is the important part to recognize as we move forward. He chose that which was meant for destruction. He didn't choose the will of God. He didn't choose obedience to God. He chose that which was meant to have to be completely annihilated. God was meant to have absolute victory over this, and Saul chose that over the absolute victory of God. And so it adds a weight to it when you recognize that he chose the opposition over God's will in this moment. And that's why it's such an egregious sin against God, because this was not just a simple act of obedience. This was an act of obedience that would have established his kingdom in history that we would be talking about. This would look different than it does, but it goes from 15, Saul is king, to chapter 16, he is no longer anointed by the Lord to be king. David is. Changed that fast because of one decision which I just think is profound. So, unfortunately, we have more in common with Saul than we would like to admit because we too seem to choose that which was meant for complete and total eradication. We choose a kingdom that has been destroyed. It's like walking in with an army, defeating and just or not even walking in with the army, coming in after the army has defeated this and destroyed this people and then begin to rebuild this city that has just been wiped off the face of the earth and start put its walls back as it was. Like, no, you're, what are you doing? You're working against yourself. Now you're just working in a circle. You're establishing again that which was meant to be destroyed. And that's what we unfortunately do. We choose the kingdom that has been destroyed over Jesus, who has won absolute victory. If you'll turn now to Romans 8, we'll be in Romans 8, verse 31. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. More than conquerors. This is one of those statements that is preached on a lot, but have we ever asked, what is more than a conqueror? I've never asked that question. I've never even contemplated that question. Is We are more than conquerors. Our identity is not conquerors. And that seems to be where we stop when we're teaching this passage. You are a conqueror. No, you're not. <clears throat> you have conquered nothing. Because Jesus won absolute victory. And then you come. It's not you come and then Jesus works a little bit and then you work with him and then you, you guys kind of battle together and you're both conquerors. No, Jesus is the conqueror. He conquered the grave. We did not. So what is more than a conqueror? Well, in thinking about this, I just had to ask the Lord because that's not something you can Google. What is more than a conqueror? There, there's nothing that exists on our earth that is more than a conqueror. We don't have a concept for it. There's no kingdom that exists that is more than conquerors. There's just conquerors. And there's those defeated. And then new kingdoms rise up. And that there's a new kingdom that conquers and a new kingdom that's defeated. But we don't have anything in our world that exemplifies what more than a conqueror is. Or what it looks like. Except for this right here. Except for us living and breathing right now because that's who we are. So what is more than a conqueror? It is a child born the morning after. They don't know battle. They don't know the time before the battle. <clears throat> they don't know the, the thought of defeat within the battle. They are simply born in the morning after, in the morning after, the day Jesus rose from the grave. We are born on that day. We are born on that day, meaning we are children of victory who are born in victory and we only know victory. We don't know the journey to victory. We don't know what it is to work and to fight to achieve victory. We just breathe our first breath in the day of victory. And every day since has been a day of victory. We don't know the battle. Because the battle was won before us. And for us. We just get to believe in Christ Jesus who defeated the grave, who defeated the kingdom of darkness, and then we get to exist in a day where the kingdom of darkness has no power and authority anymore because Jesus has won absolute victory. And I can see now how we have, because we have not spent any time as a church, I'm talking about the global church, not the global church, the Western church, that's really the only one I have any experience with is, to really think about what that identity is. Because that's, that's an identity statement. You are more than a conqueror. That's identity. What is that? It's to be born the day after the fight. When victory has already been guaranteed. And victory is already won. And victory is solidified. Set in stone. And cannot be undone. And now, insert us. Those born again into Christ Jesus, those who have died with him and been risen from the grave alongside him, who now have the ability washed pure as snow by the blood of Jesus to be filled again as we were intended to in the garden, be filled again with the presence of God and go, therefore, from that place. Filled with the presence of God as children born of victory. 
but we continue to choose to pick up the remains of the kingdom that has been destroyed to rebuild it. We'll, we'll watch this video next week of, of Graham Cook, the Give Me Back My Stuff video, because it's just a, it's, a, it's a great intro into what we'll talk about next week. But we are taking back that which Jesus won absolute victory over. When we put on display hopelessness, when we put on display doubt, when we put on display fear, when we shake to and fro like the, wi- like the waves tossed by the wind, When we shake, we are putting on a kingdom that Jesus won absolute victory over and completely destroyed. He wiped it off the face of the earth. It will not be written about in history books because it does not exist for any historian to find. That is what it is to have absolute victory. And that is what it is to be more than a conqueror. It's to be born the day after where victory is all you know. You can know about the battle. We can read about the battle that Jesus waged and that Jesus won. But we were not there. We did not fight alongside him. We are more than conquerors. We weren't a part of the fight. We were born into victory. And that is a powerful release when we let go of the battle that we never have to fight. But we... And Christian culture really preach a lot about the battle. I don't know how many times I've heard about this fight that you have to fight. Fight the good fight. The good fight has already been fought. It has been won. We have to get our minds around the fact that Jesus won absolute victory and I exist in a day and age where there is no power and authority greater than that which dwells within me. So there is nothing that can stand against God's elect. You are God's elect. And they should be left with that when they're standing behind you or standing in front of you in the grocery store. When they pass by you in the hallway. When they sit next to you at work. They should be left with that impression because you are more than a conqueror. You are not someone actively fighting. You are someone that has been born into victory never having to fight. Because we are born in victory. We are not meant for the battle. We were not created for a battle. Where... In this story, do we see him creating Adam and Eve and preparing them to fight? That wasn't what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to live in harmony and peace and complete unity with God the Father, Son and Spirit. In the garden, physical face to face. That is not what we were created for. Now we have a suit of armor. We have an ability to go and destroy those remnants of the kingdom, those strongholds that exist in people's story. But the thing about that is we're fighting an enemy with no weapons. Is it a fight? No. It's a guarantee. Is that a battle? When victory is already guaranteed? No, it's not. You just walk in, you retake that which was not previously ours. The strongholds in people's lives, yeah, the kingdom of heaven will exist here now because I say so. It's that simple. We just go and we occupy territory, period. Because there, it would be like if the Romans never had an adversary to fight. They went into a new country and there was nobody there. Kingdoms, riches, wealth, all sitting there waiting for them. Ghost town. They, would, they wouldn't line their army up and shoot the, the, the arrows and the catapults with no one to fight. 
They would just go and they would occupy. They would take. And that is what we're to do. That's it. That's exactly right. Occupy until I come. Doesn't say fight until I come. Doesn't say toil until I come. Doesn't say wage war until I come. It says occupy. We are ambassadors, meaning that we have already been established. You don't have an ambassador of a nation in a nation that's waging war with one another. We have been established. And we are ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven here to occupy a completely, totally empty land with a power that no longer exists, that tries to stand against us, but it has no legs to stand on. We just go and we retake. We claim it, period. So there is, the reason I want to spend two weeks in this is because of what we've just begun to look at right now, the power that is in the truth, that is in the truth for us individually, that Jesus has won absolute victory. And if we can wrap our minds around it and receive it and believe it as God and Jesus himself intended for us to believe and receive it, what will our lives begin to look like? And what will the world around us begin to look like when we remove ourselves from the battle mentality and recognize that we are children born the morning after the battle? Born in the day of guaranteed, solidified victory. So next week, we'll ask this question of what has Jesus won absolute victory over? Because it's important for us to stand on that reality when the, the enemy comes and tries to deceive us as if he has any power or any authority to recognize that, no, Jesus won absolute victory over that, over depression, over anxiety, over fear, over doubt, over division. He has won absolute victory over these things. And we are not created to walk in them, to struggle with them, to toil with them. We are meant to be free from them because we are children born the morning after. And we are those that were made for him. All things are made for him and through him. That includes everyone on this earth. No one on this earth is meant for anxiety. No one on this earth is meant for depression. No one on this earth is meant for fear, doubt, and division. It's not what they're made for. They're made for the children to be the children born the day after the battle. Children of victory. Children that bask in the glory of Jesus winning absolute victory. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.